Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, Daily Planet Productions podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and this is my side piece, Scott Daly. Oh Matt, you're always ribbing me. Uh, As you said, this is the podcast where you and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of superhero jurisdiction issues, exploding ribs, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this novel. We will be talking this week about Arc 5 Shadow, chapters 5.4 and 5.5. And these are some some heavy action ones, Matt. We, we've gotten into, into the battle that we kind of started last week, but uh, this, is, this is the full... I guess, scrimmage of hollow point. Yeah. Larger number of capes involved than we've seen in some, in, in some time, but it's, it's well set up in a way that allows us to follow what's going on very well because we've, we've met all these capes. We understand most of their powers and the ones that we don't know yet, their powers are kind of explained as we see them in action. And then there's also some great character stuff and, and, and dramatic moments uh, sprinkled in throughout the moments of action. Yeah. Lots of, uh, Lots of Victoria and Sveta uh, moments in here, and dealing with the fallout of the reveal of, of last week, the dishonesty last week, and we deal with that again rather immediately this week. And, uh, and we also continue to learn a little bit more about our Misfit toys and the relationships they had in the past. And then, and then Matt, we finish things off by getting to see some old friends. So many old friends. Yeah, it's very exciting. We, we've held out for so long almost five entire arcs and uh it's very satisfying to see that just mm-hmm. a tease of it just a tease of it so far so. yeah and i think i have some things to say about that specifically about the uh the holding out of that kind of things until until this far into the story but we will save that for that <laughs> when we, <laughs> when, we right. get to, when we get to chapter five we'll save that so cool all right so for now uh quick announcements and so forth uh, once again, the We've Got Ward fan art contest continues, uh, the theme being the Misfit Toys. Contest ends April 4th. Please send us your submissions. Um, I think email is the preferred mode. Yeah. Uh, um, all the details of that are on dailyplanetfilms.com. We will put a link to the contest in the description of this video. We're going to keep doing this every week to remind you guys until the contest is done. So... So, so check that out and, and send us your, your artwork. I know there's a few people that have reached out to me already that, that for clarifications. And so we've got some some excited people working on this, Matt. I'm anxiously awaiting to see what we get. Awesome. So on our We Didn't Got Ward segment, uh, last week we implied that Chris's resistance to Love Lost Scream indicated that he was immune to emotional attacks while in changer forms. Um, and this is most likely not correct because... We, in saying that, we ignored how Victoria's aura seemed to work on his wand indulgence form during the scrimmage. So it's more likely that perhaps the mad anxious form was kind of already so mad anxious that the rage just didn't really move the needle much. Um, really, this is more, I don't know if this is even a correction, more like saying that we should, we're, we shouldn't pretend to be certain about the fact that um, his change reforms render right. emotional immunity. It could very it could very well be that one of the side effects of this changer form in particular is uh, immunity to emotional actions, but we just don't we just don't have enough yet to know. That's right. Um, so now moving on to the community spotlight, where we read what people wrote from last week's thread, and st- starting out, we're going to focus on answers 
in responses to this, the discussion question. So last week, the prompt was, Victoria's mantra or problem-solving workflow is to follow the law, failing that, do what seems right, and if it's not clear, reach out to others for guidance. Discuss the strengths and weaknesses of this approach. And there were some really awesome responses here, many of which I found genuinely kind of um, just surprising in terms of their direction. And, and I was yeah. like, wow, I, I didn't think of that. Now that I sort of see that perspective, I'm sort of swayed in that direction. And then I kind of was swayed in multiple directions over the course of reading these, which was a really kind of fun experience, actually. Yeah, I was a little worried about this one when we came up with it because I was like, are we going to get good answers to this? Like this, this is this is more open ended than any of the other questions we've done so far. Um, there's not even really a question. It's just us saying discuss this. Yeah. Um, and once again, pleasantly surprised by a lot of your answers. It was really interesting and, and started some great conversations, I think. That's so, a good point. Maybe we, maybe we should uh, be more open-ended going forward because that yeah. seems to generate the best discussions. I agree. So Executioner 404 says, and I, once again, I'm paraphrasing, uh, that this mantra is very pure and heroic, but it could be warped by perspective. Um, and and they make a comparison to Taylor, which many po posters do actually, saying that Taylor could probably twist the first two parts of the mantra to be self-serving. Um, but the last part, reaching out, is kind of a good bridge back to sanity where, uh, you know, it, it, keeps, it keeps Victoria from going too far astray the way Taylor tended to. Yeah, I like this answer a lot. And I think that is a lot of people compared uh, Victoria to Taylor here. And I think that's fair because we are specifically asking about, you know, your 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 core tenets, your, your core philosophy on how you do things. And and these two women have uh, very, very different philosophies, very different ideas of morality and moral codes. But I, I, I like that idea that those the first two parts of that seem seem kind of taylor like yeah yeah i, I agree um yeah it's the difference being i think that both of them have very different senses of what feels right and right, then also right. different instincts in terms of who gets to be the final arbiter of what is right right um, and the, they, yeah the, the reach out part of that is something that taylor had had the most trouble with <laughs> yeah. the idea of of getting other people's perspective on these things that that her right. that, that that she wasn't able to form her own idea um is very different yeah so moving on calinero again compares victoria to taylor here and actually says you know an attempt at formalizing what taylor's mantra might have been would be something very utilitarian sounding like minimize harm maximize good um, which I think is interesting, although I do wonder what Taylor would have actually said if you said, like, you know, give us your give us your one line um, code of, of why you do things. Yeah. Victoria, though, seems to be actively looking to prevent abuse of power. Um, so that's yeah. good. And that's kind of in, in direct opposition to what Taylor was going for. Um, but Victoria can still fall into the trap of something feeling right that isn't right. Yeah, yeah. I like that that one a lot. And that I mean that, that that is one of the common threads. I think most people were pretty positive about this mantra. That 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 they said if you look at it holistically, if you look at it by itself, a person will be able to make some good decisions with it. But that doesn't mean that it can't be abused or 
or you can't fall into a, a feedback loop of enforcing things that you that are not good for you. Right. Like this minimize harm, maximize good, obviously falls prey to this idea that there's no term in that for saying like, OK, how do you determine what is the course of action that leads to harm? How do you define harm? How do you determine what is good and how to obtain the most good? Oh, right. it's just your gut instincts. Oh, OK, <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's risky. Don't forget Jerry, the fruit yeah. guy. Oh, yeah. You got to ask the fruit guy. So dude 190 uh, and basically a semi-direct quote with some paraphrasing. Um, because her system requires deliberation and communication, Victoria always seems almost surprised by every fight. There's always explosive and sudden events which don't give her t the time to prepare and think things through. So the point being here that she has this mantra, but very often sh she's not prepared to apply her mantra and she ends up acting much more from the hip and then is either disappointed by how she performs or else uh, other people <laughs> like Natalie find fault in how she's performed. Yeah. Um, so she's not doing a great job living up to it, I think is the point here. Yeah. Well, I mean, the mantra itself is very difficult to enact in split second decision making. There's there's multiple layers. There's multiple steps you have to run through. It involves you involving other people. So it, it does not work for split second decision making that needs to happen of of am I going to engage in this battle? Am I not? Um, she does a, a fairly good job of sussing that out anyway. It's just she can't fall back on this particular idea while doing it. That's right. So Iron Zephyr says uh, that it'll be interesting to see how this mantra interacts with laws that she doesn't agree with. That, that was one of the things that I thought of too um mm -hmm. that, that that that's something i actually kind of expect to happen uh, because we we sort of get this hint that the way the legal system is going to form up it's not going to be something that victoria necessarily is happy with yeah and it's it, it, i think that that was the most interesting part of it for me and i'm sure we're going to get this as we go down to other people so hopefully i'm not repeating other people's answers but this idea that you know the law the law is still forming in this place and we don't know what it's going to be and it i think in general, in any civilized society, your first decision is going to be or your your first marker for should I do something or not should be, hey, is this legal? Am I like it does does the law governing me allow me to do this thing? And if no. Maybe I shouldn't do the thing, but of course, it's going to be very interesting to see. What if Victoria really, really wants to do the thing? Is she just going to is this mantra going to be a way to excuse that behavior? It's like, OK, well, the law part didn't work. Let me fall back on this other part. Like you would think in, in a pure form, the mantra is, OK, what if the law doesn't cover this situation? Then I have to turn to something else. But it could be interpreted as, OK, the law says something that I don't agree with. Now I have to go to my next step. And those, those are two very different interpretations of the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I think some people uh, mention that later on that it, it kind of gives her too many too many get out of jail free cards in terms of actually adhering to any kind of code. It's, it's more like adhere to the code in the parts where you feel like adhering to it. Um, and we saw some of this tension in Worm, even where the heroes were constantly, you know, feeling a, a little bit shackled by the fact that they had to obey so many more regulations. Um, and there were even, you know, jealous in a certain sense of like the undersiders who were able to just say like we're we're doing this now yeah 
All right, so the Venom Rex says, given the 9%, the law has demonstrated itself incapable of being the highest arbiter through no fault of its own. So in, in other words, the fact that the law is completely failing to even serve its intended function suggests that there is there is an opening for people to serve what is good beyond the constraints of the law and so it the burden falls to the citizens to determine what is right therefore um so this is almost like a justification of, of the mantra of victoria is saying like look if, if the law does, isn't helping me then i'm going to do what i need to do and that this is actually the correct move to take in a situation where the law is not right pulling its weight yeah yeah because i mean for any given citizen in our world there's if you're having a crisis if you're having a dilemma a moral dilemma of some sort or a choice to make there's probably a law for it like there's probably something some kind of legal framework you can fall back on that is not the, the case in earth gimmel that's just not how things operate here the law is that there is packets of law here and there there are generally understand understood things but it is not this catch-all that can catch and solve every problem for you so in a world that is demanding citizens to make those right and wrong choices um, outside the scope of the legal system it, it would seem that her mantra serves that the best yeah you're gonna hear me make a lot of wild west comparisons today mm -hmm. i think yeah and and this is a an example where if you just think about you know any any western the 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 law is not a reliable way of solving interpersonal problems and i think that is a very apt comparison to the way this world is set up right now yeah i agree so from stuck in reddit factory which is, i love that as a username by the way uh they say ex basically explicitly um th this this mantra explicitly takes a step beyond the worm moral framework if, if you want to call it that of do what feels right to specifically target the thing that taylor had trouble with namely reaching out uh, uh at all and, and relying on others at all um so I, I think that's goes back to to comparing it to taylor but making the the precise point that taylor specifically had a problem with relying on other people like she yeah. had to be in charge that was her pathology basically and so this is almost um maybe rebuttal is the wrong word, but a kind of expansion of the themes of worm where we're saying, okay, what if your protagonist didn't have this particular glitch <laughs> right. um, and was capable of relying on, on, on other people? How much farther does that get us down the road? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, they also go on to say, and you show me a perfect way to solve moral problems. I'll wait, which is a good point. It's a very good point. <laughs> um, okay. From PPG King, uh, quote, I wonder if Victoria and our heroes will end up having a first of their kind case in changing the game even further, basically setting a legal precedent. Yeah. And that, that's an interesting thought. I don't know if I would predict that that would happen, but it's a very interesting thought. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the idea here would be that the the choices that she's making are are defining the laws then like that because she can't because the first part of this mantra is unreliable then the second part is basically her serving to set up and define what the laws are going to look like mm -hmm. i guess that would be the argument yeah i mean i i think the i think the 
the the law system is specifically trying not to let that happen. I mean, th- I think the anti-cape sentiment is, is trying to make sure that it is not the powerful in in their powerful actions that are setting precedent. So I don't know. Yeah, it would be really interesting if warm if if a ward became a courtroom drama where where the basically became a battle over the judicial uh, interpretation of the laws. Yeah, I I I don't think that's going to happen, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe an interlude possible uh negation 444 says victoria is not following the law because it's not finalized the terms of engagement are unclear so it's not really possible to clearly do what's right because you don't know what's right and she never bothers to call for backup so basically victoria is not really following her mantra very well and and i think that's true we like we didn't dig through it in detail but she really only ever bothers to think about it in times when it's when things are pretty calm. Um, not not when she kind of should be thinking about it. Yeah, but I think it's the times when she's like soul searching and trying to figure out her purpose, like trying to figure out like I don't I think this mantra serves as not her day to day decision making thing, but her overall trying to get a grip on what she wants to accomplish, what she wants to do what the direction of her future wants to take. So yeah, I mean, I don't think she's, she's necessarily following in the day to day, but I think she's falling back on it. I mean, she is reaching out for guidance. We see her do that. She is like, she might not call for backup when she rushes into a battle. We saw that, that, that she did not call Natalie when, when she decided they were going, but Hey, someone on the team called Natalie. So that counts. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. I mean, I think it's interesting that we, we as, as everyone, are are being this hard on her, and I include myself in that because, like, I don't have anything like a morality workflow that I apply to my right. decisions. You know, like I'm just like, there's like a million different sort of you know little modules that come online to to assess whether I should go ahead and do something. And, and yes, I'm not getting into superpowered violence on a daily basis. <laughs> Um, but, but like the, I guess that that kind of segues into this next comment, uh, by the white Duke who points out that this, this clause where she says failing that, you know, I'll do what the law says, failing that do what I feel is right. Failing that. And it's like, that's, it's kind of a loophole where it lets her, if she doesn't like the answer that a given step returns, she's free to just bail and go to the next like tier down until she just gets the answer she wants. And while that's true, like I was just saying, like who even bothers to have a workflow in the first place and (laughs) not just, not just do the first thing that feels right to them. Yeah. Um, Um, I mean, I think that's just, that kind of ties into Victoria's like complete self-awareness right she is very aware of the internal workings of her mind she's very um aware of of her decision-making process in that she can have this mantra see i and and this comment like i don't know if i agree with the white duke here that i mean i I get that that absolutely this has the potential to be seen as a loophole but my interpretation of this mantra was not um if i don't like the law i'm not going to listen to it my interpretation was Okay, step one, what does the law say about this? Oh, the law doesn't provide me clear guidance. Crap. Okay. Uh, step two, do what's right or wrong. I don't, I can't, 
I don't know. I don't know what's right or wrong here. I, I, there's too much gray. I can't land on right or wrong. Okay, crap. What do I do now? And then step three is I, I got to talk to someone. I got to figure someone out. I need I need some guidance. I need some focus. I need some direction. So I'm going to go talk to someone else. So I didn't see that as, okay, I didn't like what my morals said about this. So I'm going to do something else. I, that was not my interpretation of it. But I do agree that it could be taken that that way. Yeah. Right. That, that's interesting. It's interesting that I think there can be more than one credible interpretation of what she means by this. So Veldst says reaching out should be first on the list if you're facing a moral dilemma. Um, and, and I think that's interesting because like I, I, I would sort of counter maybe that the first two steps sort of screen for the question, is this a moral dilemma? Like if if the law is clear on it, it's not really a moral dilemma. <laughs> if you already kind of know what the right answer is, it's not really a moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, in, in a sense, the first two questions filter, the, the final question is like, all right, Victoria, you're in a moral dilemma. So, yeah. you know, you've now recognized that. So reach out and, and see if you can get some more clarity on it. Yeah, a lot, a lot of our comments were about the order of them, right? And some people mm-hmm. said that what you feel should be first. Some people said reaching out should be first. The first thing you should do is ask someone else. Um, some people said that, that the law was ne- should not be as important to these decision-making processes. Um, I don't know. I, I, I both agree. This is going to be annoying. I both agree and disagree. Like I, <laughs> I think if you interpret the mantra the way I just explained to you, I think it makes sense for the law to do it first because you're looking for guidance. You're looking for someone else to help you make this decision. So first thing first, is this even, does the law even support this decision? And so I think it makes sense to start there. Yeah. I mean, I think Victoria's life experience of being in, in this like vigilante Cape hero family make, you know, is probably evidence that like, if you don't put follow the law first on your list, then you just end up like in jail basically. Like it's not, yeah. it's not a, it's not cool to, to just ignore the law. Um, yeah. It, it probably ends, ends up badly for you. And and I think, I think the order also shows Victoria's immense respect for the idea of law, for the idea of law and order for, for I place this first. Therefore I respect laws. I respect order that, that is important to me. Therefore first on my list. Yeah. Right. I think so. And that kind of so, ties into this next person. Yeah. So hobo demon says Victoria's system automatically jives with the standard of what a reasonable person would do. You know, in other words, it looks good in court because, um, you know, if you have to be on the witness stand and, and people are, are asking, mm-hmm. like judging you to the standard of what, what, well, did you behave reasonably? It's like, well, you, you checked if it was legal. Okay. The law wasn't clear, et cetera. Um, and it, it's really hard. It would be hard to find fault with someone in a legal setting if they were following this workflow. And I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that the, the reasonable person standard in court is used a lot. That's how you determine like that's how you determine guilt in a lot of these things is is how would a reasonable person feel about that action? And and Victoria is is captain reasonable person <laughs> when she's following this mantra. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um so I think that sort of ties into this next one from from Erlock's. Uh, they basically say Victoria could never become a warlord with a treason charge using this mantra, but also maybe she under this mantra shouldn't be helping rain 
the known terrorist murderer. Um, so it's like it it does screen off some of the worst possible failure modes, but also perhaps it it pushes her away from doing things that I think at least we as the readers feel would be would be moral probably um, because they're not clearly legal. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that idea. Um, the uh, the idea of taking her continued involvement with Rain, what she once she knows what Rain's going through, um, does that disprove her following the mantra or not? And or 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 rather, does that show holes in the mantra that she's screened him through this process and then has made the decision? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going with this, and I don't I don't know if it does because rain's such a, a complicated situation matt like the, there really seems to be no clear right or wrong answer here i mean i don't think the law can really help her here um the law has given these people amnesty and we haven't seen him do something we don't know specifically of of what he did yet um post amnesty that would be breaking that law and right or yeah. wrong gets super gray Right. I mean, there could even be a complete lack of of like evidence against him, you know, I mean, yeah, I I could be wrong about that. But 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 who knows, you know, it it, it could just be that even if the law, even if he were to be caught, they could make a case against him. And then what is. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very muddy. But but that's why I liked this question, though, because you like I think Erlox has a really good point here that that may like one person's interpretation of these same steps could be seen as um, you should not be helping rain. That's ridiculous. This, this right. betrays your mantra, but for Victoria, at least right now it does not. Yeah. Right. The Koalas uh, says as it stands, Victoria's mantra is as hollow as any self justification Taylor used. Um, so in the sense that she just kind of does her own thing when the chips are down. So once again, we have someone Pointing out that Victoria doesn't really follow her mantra when when it's uh, intense. Yeah, I I kind of push back on the idea that it's as hollow and and self justified as Taylor's. Um, I think there is definitely some some ability to self to 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 justify things with it built into the mantra. I think we talked about kind of her going to to Jerry the fruit guy as. I need to feel better about this decision I'm making. And here's a guy who, who just so happens to, to at least support the way or reinforce what I'm thinking. And I mean, so far what she's wanting to do is help people. So that's good. So we have, we ha- I don't think we've seen the flip side of this yet. I mean, I, I think there are people like that are worried about what this means, but I don't think we've seen her use this thing to do stuff that is probably not things she should be doing yet. Yeah. Um, also, you know, this is just kind of prompting me to think like, is there any kind of algorithm, simple, compact algorithm that you could use to just be like, this is not a self-serving um, mantra in terms of, of how to live your life? Like, it, it, seem, it seems like any conceivable thing that you could fit on, you know, the back of an envelope you you could say like, look, the, this is going to depend on the person executing it, the pressures they're under their biases, their priorities. And uh, it's too much to ask for them yeah. to become like a, some kind of moral angel just because you, you gave them the right, you know, instructions. That's true. Uh, so, so really 
while I'm all about judging things to a high standard, you still have to accept that the person executing it is going to be human. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good attempt at a moral code, I guess. It is. Even though it has some problems. It does. And and, uh, as I read Koala's comment here again, um, while I was listening to you talk, it kind of he he does he does conveniently here offer up a direct contradiction to everything I just said, which is that her dealing with Natalie, her dealing with the paralegal and how she takes some advice and not others kind of seems to be her using the mantra in a not great way. Right. I mean, that mm-hmm. that, that could be evidence of her her using these steps uh, and ignoring the ones that she doesn't want. So. Um, Natalie says you probably shouldn't be doing this. I don't like this, but I really want to do it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do it anyway. Right? Yeah, I'll listen to anything that you say that still allows me to play cops and robbers right. and punch people. But on the other hand, she does convince Natalie that after showing her the tape, that hey, we were probably we were probably legally within the right to do what we did here. Yeah. And and there is a moment in these chapters where she says. I need to get Natalie more uh more video of this stuff so she can she can be on our side more. Yeah. Yeah, which makes sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's actually to Victoria's benefit that Natalie is being a bit stringent here. Yeah, absolutely. From EXE JPEG Windows movie file, we have uh the answer on whether this is a good mantra or not depends on whether Victoria's introspection is accurate. Uh, which is, of course, suspect because we know it's sort of not in some ways, in some specific ways. S- so far, they they also point out that like while she does think about this mantra a lot, when you actually get into like the moments of when she's when she's kind of behaving without thinking, her behavior is usually more like you know if she's in a fight, aim to disable, aim to escape, aim to de-escalate things, um, and. I think that's true. That doesn't, that's almost orthogonal to the question of, of the mantra. It's just like, this is her, her instinct. Her instinct is to defuse and, and, and remove violence from a situation, which I think is almost like sub deliberative for her. That's just how she is. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I think that's why I think the mantra itself serves as, as more high level, uh, direction based decision-making and not, in the in the midst of it split second um because i think i think the mantra kind of fits that warrior monk thing it fits what she wants to be but life requires you to kind of fall back on what you instinctually are and 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 those things are very instinctually victoria you are right mm-hmm. okay and from pizza hot dog lover i'm gonna just take a big big old block quote out of this because this is a gleefully uncharitable um <laughs> uh, uh interpretation but it also makes its case strongly and, and i love it for that mm-hmm. um so here's the quote i think that victoria's mantra is actually a pretty self-serving rationalization it sounds good at first but the result is that she ends up doing exactly what she feels like doing um and, and then they go on to say contracts that say if you do y i'll do x unless i choose not to aren't valid contracts because they let you avoid fulfilling your end of the bargain yeah um so their their rephrasing is step one follow the law unless you don't want to step two if you don't want to follow the law just do the thing you would do anyway step three if you know if you know you don't want to follow the law but you don't have any better ideas see if someone else can suggest something that appeals to you step four if you don't like the advice you get disregard it and and just do whatever you feel like um (laughs) 
Which is great. I think we've already kind of touched on potential pushback on this, though. Like, for example, like you've said a couple of times, it's not really follow the law unless you don't want to. It's follow the law unless the law is is unclear. Yeah. Um, which the law is unclear. Like, that's the, that's the fact of the matter here is that, is that the, the Earth Gimel law yeah. is very unclear. The, I think the best part of this comment was that they, they pointed out that we left out her step four. Because we true. did. Because she added a fourth step. Which was, I don't, there's nobody that can help me. Um, just go what makes me the, the least sick, I guess. Yeah, um, right. The thing yeah. that I'll, I'll, I'll regret the least. Yeah. 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 Which um, makes, that also makes sense. Um, and also kind of reflects back on what Taylor kind of, kind of where she ended up. Because she ended up in a place where she had a lot of regrets because she hadn't really thought about the fact that she was going to have to live with her decisions. Right. Which is something I believe we may have talked about a couple of times throughout the <laughs> no, podcast. No, I don't I don't think so. That no? doesn't okay. That doesn't sound like us. We okay. were just we were just judging her the whole time. Yeah, you're right. Um yeah, so that that definitely reflects back to yeah. to that. Yeah, I mean, you are absolutely right that this is the this is the most anti-Victoria of the answers we got. Um, but but you are also right that I think they did a pretty good job explaining their point. And I was like, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being sufficiently snarky yeah. actually kind of cracked through my defenses. Yeah. I, I, I was I was not expecting, I guess, like I'm I'm very mixed on this personally uh, on on her, like the good and the bad of her mantra i think it, i think it is very helpful for her i worry if she leans on it too much there's too many holes in it that could get her in trouble but i was not expecting as much negative response to it as we got um and maybe maybe it's just because i'm getting kind of swept up into victoria's point of view and i need to take a step back and and observe this thing more uh more from an external perspective but i i was i was a little surprised by the amount of kind of negative pushback to this thing i'm wondering if part of that is just a little bit of contrariness which is natural like i remember in my college ethics course i would always like if there was a paper that was like either argue whether something's ethical or not ethical i would always try to argue in the paper the opposite of what my actual intuition was just to see if i could make a convincing argument for it um which probably just taught me a really bad lesson that you can justify anything to yourself. Uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's an impulse to want to, to want to explore how something that seems like it makes sense doesn't actually make sense. Like, I think that's a natural human impulse. Yeah. I think I, I and, and I also think it would have made a bunch of boring questions if people were just like, no, it it's great. Like, see, right. this is, it's, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. And if that's all we got. Yeah. So I think I think having people really dive in and, and try to pick it apart and try to find the weaknesses in that made the the answers a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that's that wraps up the discussion questions section. And so then we have good ones. Yeah, was, we took a really while great. on it this week, but I think we had to. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of really interesting angles. So a couple of general comments that didn't have to do with the discussion question. The white squirrel helps pin down our off-the-cuff proposal that all the emotion powers in the cluster rotated by one member. Um, We don't, you know, I I kind of vaguely sketched out, like, how kind of the default emotion of each person sort of became the power of the next person. So so we don't know what Snag's original emotion was, and we don't know what Cradle's emotion power is. 
And this fact leaves open a gap that could either mean that Cradle got Snag's original emotion, or it could mean that there's, you know, the, the fifth member is, is kind of slid into this gap here. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was that was very nice to see that a little, little bit more fleshed out than what we did on the podcast. Yeah, they did a, a good job of of making it visual mm-hmm. and making that connection like you can see it a lot better than just of our uh, it randomly jumping into our head as we're talking and it was kind of all jumbled up but i appreciate them taking the time to write it all down in a way that that makes me like this a lot and and hopefully get to see if if this theory holds up as we fill in these question marks absolutely and then koalas pointed something out that they think that Veilfor probably would not have been a bad person by default without uh, Mama's influence. Um, and basically the, the the key quote is, after completely giving in to the fallen mindset um, and using his power on himself, Mama still considers him a failure. Uh, the, the evidence of this being that he still has the long hair, which is kind of the sign that you're uh, on her shit list, basically. Right, because we saw that confirmed through Rain specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm overstating what the long hair means, but I, I interpret it to mean like you're on thin ice, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a a, a leap you can make. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, let's dive into yeah. the chapters. Only forty minutes in. <laughs> Only forty. Time minutes. to talk about the chapters. All right. But look at our script, Matt. We're halfway done. I know. Isn't that nice? <laughs> <laughs> Chapter four dot five. So having cornered Sprite. Five dot four. Five dot four. <laughs> so having cornered Sprite in Prancer's office, Victoria and Sveta grill him on why Advance Guard is here. Sprite's story is that this is Foresight's territory, and they totes checked with Foresight, or somebody did, whatever. Uh, then he lets on that they were invited, supposedly. And throughout all of this, he's constantly trying to bail out of the conversation, but the two women keep him in place. Yes, the plot, as they say, Matt, thickens. Um, it's it's interesting because I think again and again I find that you and I are being kind of swept up into Victoria's point of view here, right? Like we we've already talked about how we read paranoia into um into Aaron into Byron and 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 we read paranoia into Tristan's behavior last time too. Mm-hmm. When the truth is, as revealed later, is is actually really way simpler than the complicated nature we were trying to make it. The 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 truth is, um. He was just he was just telling her to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then we read paranoia. We read this complex thing into what the advance guard was doing here. And I remember last week saying, oh, this whole thing is a diversion. So Sprite can get in here and get some intel. No, they're just they're just doing their thing. They're just they're just invited. That's it. That's it. But we're overcomplicating it because Victoria is. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't know exactly what happened here. Um, but definitely like she, she assumes a lot of like, she basically comes in assuming like ill will on their part, like, like that they're, they're messing with her on purpose basically. Yeah. I mean, the greatest irony of all this though, is that this revelation actually lends itself to a greater paranoia because now we have this idea that they were invited here. So now we, we start having this plot lay out to where everyone's being manipulated on some giant level instead of these everyone's out to get you person it's like somebody's out to get you and they're powerful um but but victoria does have this kind of this kind of basic distrust of a lot of new characters in the story um like 
advanced guards here. She doesn't really like advanced guards, so she so they immediately must be up to something nefarious. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, it's all it, it like you said. Um, I'm having a really <laughs> having a really hard time staying outside of Victoria's point of view, uh, which I guess should not should not surprise me. Um, but uh, I, I I need to do better at this going forward and be more objective and and sort of particularly on my rereads be a bit more critical of like whether she's being fair to other people or not yeah yeah I don't know. so so before we move on there's a, there's a, a couple things that i want to touch on this conversation here that i found pretty noteworthy um the first is this really classic victoria moment where um they see sprite and he walks around the table and he puts the table between victoria and sveta and himself and and victoria clocks that and she she says, "Was this a was this a defensive position? Is is he going to bolt, or is he getting ready? Um, he's is he anticipating violence from me?" And her re- response to that is, "I changed my stance, forcing myself to relax my posture." So she sees him get in this uncomfortable position, and specifically move to block them with the table. And her response is not to push against him, assume he's going to bolt. Her her response is actually to assume that he thinks that she's going to attack him. Not that she thinks that he like er, the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. He thinks she's going to start the violence. Not that this guy is getting this table between me because he's about to try to fight me. Um, so she changes and she once again, it deescalates. She is specific and aware enough to change her posture to make it less defensive, to make it more relaxed. And it, it kind of works because we, we see Sprite calm down after this. Yeah. And she's, she's kind of self-aware enough to realize how angry she's coming off as because she is indeed angry. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, the second thing I wanted to talk about is, is this idea that the advance guard has and, and something I think we're going to see repeated again and again throughout this chapter is this idea of, invade take out the villains and then the problem will go away and i think what this reminds us of is that cops and robbers uh capes and villains heroes and villains game mentality that we saw so much throughout the early parts of worm that um they're just going to come in here and they're going to get rid of the bad guys and then everything will be better right because that's how that works right um and the victorian sveta basically call him out on that and say you can't just create a mess and trust they'll be better off. Mm-hmm. And I really like this idea. I really like this idea that that in this new world, in this wild west, as you you put it, the, it things are not that simple. And and arguably, we're never that simple. Yeah, it's it's really easy to gloss over that beat where where they basically make their case, where they're saying like, yeah, you, you can't you can't just come and and punch the villains and have this work out well for us, especially when we're fighting an uphill battle to regain the public trust. Um, It's because you kind of want to get to the Cape fighting, honestly. So you're kind of motivated (laughs) to just, to just get past it. But it is, it is a really nice concise pitch for their whole um, theory of kind of why they're here, what they're trying to do. Absolutely. Yeah. So then Sprite suggests that the two of them might be working with Prancer's group, stalling Sprite. And then, in order to allay this concern, both women appeal to their known relationships with other heroes. Yeah. And I really like this beat a lot. And it echoes something that Victoria mentioned to Ashley before on the train, that this idea of connections, the connections you make matter, the reputation you have matters. 
uh, we've had a few people point out throughout the thread, and, and I've seen other discussion threads, this idea that post-Gold Morning, bonds between people, interactions between people have gotten more important than ever. And, and some people have said, hey, look, everyone's working together. Taylor Jesus. got her wish. It's not it's not quite that, right? I mean, there's that where obviously we're seeing violence and, and conflict build up and, and people strike out against each other. But But there is definitely this idea that the connections you have, the reputation you have, the the people you ally yourself with and the people you surround yourself with matters to how you are perceived by the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm going to hit that Wild West drum yet again here and, and say like, yeah, this is like, you know, you, you've got a problem. You you go get Paulson and, and Johnson from the next farm over. Um, like that's that's how you solve problems is you have to you have to rely on these bonds and, and these yeah. reputational um, interactions with people. Yeah. And, and, and you are like you, you trade on your reputation. You live by your reputation in a situation like that, in a context like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So now Sprite says that, that they talked to the other teams who were excited to be collaborating on something like this. And then Mayday allegedly talked to Foresight and got the go ahead. So he's basically providing just a he's he's reluctantly providing a little bit more detail on what supposedly happened to lead to this situation. Yeah. All this uh, all this inner team communication is really great. But uh, it's like they're playing telephone a little bit here, Matt. Yeah. Especially when you have a certain parahuman that specializes in manipulation and information. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of this all, as we'll see, as we'll see happen in in, in a bit. Yeah, I, I like this idea that the that the all the Cape teams were like genuinely happy to be doing this. Like, yeah. like they, they thought it was important. It's not just. It, it kind of gives you this confirmation that this isn't just kind of Victoria getting like tunnel vision um like other people actually like this and think it's a good idea yeah because like you have to imagine that in this 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 post end of the world place you have these heroes that are heroes for a reason because they want to do good they want to be heroes they want to fight villains and make the world better and they're just like they haven't been able to like like with with the the amnesty itself and with the how complicated and unsimple things are like like victoria's idea that she wants simple she wants good guys and bad guys uh villains and heroes and wants it to be that simple is probably not something that's unique to her you're absolutely right it's something that's probably echoed by a large number of the, the heroes in this world that they want something like this they want to feel like they can go out to a place do some fighting and leave there having left it better mm-hmm yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I've, I've thought a few times about whether this term, like so and so is a true blue hero, has cropped up. And Victoria, she's 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 hard on herself, and she has her own problems. But and and nobody's ever said this of her explicitly. But I think that she is one of those kinds of people. Um, like or or has the capacity to be which is cool yeah i mean um, we talked about how her initial reaction is to disarm de-escalate mm-hmm. and i think that those are those are qualities that are uh, i don't want to go too far and say intrinsically heroic but good <laughs> i mean yeah. they're, they're good qualities her, her instinctual qualities are not um take over kill destroy they are de-escalate control contain yeah, and and now I'm realizing that I've introduced a new term into my pantheon of terms, including 
villain, monster, hero, victim. Now, true blue hero has to be in there. <laughs> All right. It's Add like it to the list. A hero who is actually a hero. We need not... like a We've Got Worm glossary yes. of all the shit we make up. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> all right. Um, so now Victoria tells Sprite their side of the story, what the Misfit Toys plan is. And she throws in there uh, a little tidbit that we know is not true. She says, what I arranged, my part in this, is that one of those players, uh, referring to the evil villain players, gives us a cut each time we provoke these guys to call. It drains the bad guys, and I can give these guys their startup cash. So she's just she's just blatantly trying to throw Tattletale under the bus, right? Because she knows that they're listening in. Yeah, absolutely. She makes a split-second call here, assuming accurately, most likely, that Hollow Point is listening to everything they say and, and heavily implies that, hey, we're just working for Tattletale to fuck all these guys over. It's cool. Um, and... And I think that like it's it's very interesting that 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 she like she she goes through this this talk about how things are escalating out of control in this place. And if I don't give one single point, one single point to blame, if I don't control the situation and like point it in a direction, it's just going to blow up everywhere. And she says, well, tattletale, <laughs> I'm going to point this off to her. Um, and I think the, the, the thing about this, I, I really, really liked was that we see Sveta as much as like we talked about last week, how like the lie, the deceit between the two of them maybe put a crack in their friendship that needs to be repaired. She's still really in sync with her here. Like she just plays along immediately. We, it, she knows that Victoria is lying here, but we don't even see her hesitate. They, she just goes into it and, and plays along with it. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. You almost wonder if she bought it, but I think we know that she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, I think this beat is paralleled in the end of the episode when we're having a character talking to a person, but really talking to people listening in um, is something we echo in Chapter 5.5. That's right. Yeah, so, that's, that's cool. Yeah. So Sprite seems to accept that either someone on his team or someone on Foresight dropped the ball and that his team shouldn't be there. So he asks to borrow their powers in order to leave. Uh, which is interesting that he asks because he doesn't seem to need people's permission. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, he that that leads to this moment where he's he's kind of getting a sense of Victoria's powers, and he says, "Flight and shadows of feet and fingers groping for handholds." I don't think that one would move me very far, only by inches. It was the most direct reference to the wretch I'd heard someone make. I wanted to reply to look normal and I couldn't. I'm taking a deep breath, Matt, because uh, I did it again. You did it again. I wrote, yeah. I wrote an essay. I'm going to go get some <laughs> water. Time, I'll, I'll, it's time I'll be for back. Scott. So uh, I, I, love, I love all of this. I love it so much. And I want to look at this structurally and I want to use this as an example of hey, how do you land a beat and give it the emotional impact you want? And I think one of the things we do a lot on the show is talk about how to properly set up beats, because I think it's one thing that these stories do very well is that they they very much give you setup. And, and that's we talk about setup and payoff a lot. We talk about three beats, but there's also something else that we don't talk about as much, which I think is tonal setup. How do you get your audience? How do you get your readers in the emotional mindset you need them to be? And I think this is really important here because this 
hits Victoria like a freight train, Matt. This this is an outward reflection, an outward um, acknowledgement, a public acknowledgement of her inner fears. And it's just it's out in the open now. And so in order for this beat to work and in order for this beat to land with the most amount of impact, the reader needs to be hit as hard as Victoria is because we're in her point of view. So we need to feel this as if we're her. And I think this does this. I think this this really accomplishes this. But I want to I want to look at I want to look at how. Yeah, sure. I, I, I have some thoughts, too. But, yeah, I'd love to see what you, you came up with. Yeah. So first, uh, the way the way I think we do this first, I, I want to look at all the different conflicts and tensions we kind of have in play right now in the story. Um, I, I'm labeling them because this gets really complicated. Me. So Matt, so we have, we have conflict A, which is which is one of which is our main continuing conflict award right now. And, and that's related to Victoria's trauma. And the wretch itself is a, is a symbol of this. It is the literal manifestation of her past haunting her. It is her body dysmorphia. It is the issues with Amy, the issues with her parents. It's all kind of rolled up and made physical and manifest in this thing. Um, all this conflict didn't come from the wretch itself, but it it represents it. Um, and it's something that Victoria is perpetually working about through. So we have that. We have that there. The main conflict of this chapter or these next two chapters is is the advanced guard is here. They're fucking us up. They're fucking up our plans. We have to stop them. And we have to do it in a way that doesn't completely ruin everything we've done here. So that's that's conflict number letter B. Um, conflict okay. C is a subset of that main conflict, which is the most immediate, the most direct. This is this is as as close and immediate as we get, which is Sprite is here. We have to convince him that they don't need to be here and he needs to help us de-escalate this thing. So that's our most immediate tension. And then finally, we have D, which is the Victoria Sveta tension that carried over from the last chapter. We have the conflict between the two of them, the, the crack that we saw, the, the deceit, and Victoria kind of throwing Sveta away in a panic has has let, has rubbed Sveta the wrong way, and we haven't really solved that yet. We just kind of put it aside to deal with these more immediate ones. So that's A, B, C, and D. We have all those, and there's other ones too, but for this discussion, we have all of these things kind of in the air right now. So we come into this moment, Matt, and in this moment, Victoria's wretch has been made literal to one of her closest friends, and we have all these conflict balls up in the air. So we make this beat land by basically dropping every single one of them mm -hmm. at once. Um, first, immediately before the wretch is named, we've closed conflict C. We've closed our most pressing conflict. It's just been resolved. Sveta and Victoria have won. They've convinced Sprite that he shouldn't be here. They've convinced him to come back with them and tell the advance guard they need to back off. They've won. They did it. Hooray. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as we release the tension of that conflict, this is the moment Wildbo chooses to drop this. So we're mm -hmm. coming off the, the, the lull of a conflict and then bam, we're doing this. Um, and because this also connects back to number B, to, to letter B, sorry, um, we're also dealing directly with what this is doing for the immediate, what this is doing for the immediate of advanced guard is here. We have to stop them. So, so we, we drop both of those. Also, we go back to, to, to conflict a, which is our, our wretch, Matt, we go back to that. Mm -hmm. Um, because now we've had someone outside of Victoria has been made aware of the existence of the wretch for the first time, for the first time ever. Victoria hasn't told anybody about this, not even Yamada. She says it's the first time ever. So that's our conflict A. And then that loops back to our last one, to D, which is the Victoria Sveta uneasiness over, over dishonesty. So we have 
Victoria is made aware of Victoria is secret has been revealed. This hurts Sveta. This is right after our immediate conflict, but ties into our future conflict. And we have all these things coming together and they all come bam, 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 one after another. And the result of that is it just hits you. It just hits you in waves because all this is tied together. All this has been brought together to every bit of tension we have in the scene, in the story, all of it. And I'm going to let you take a break. I'm going to take a break and let you talk for a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I think it's great uh, how, how you've, you've drawn together all these different things that are going on. I, I, I'm thinking, um, you know, while you've been talking, I've been thinking about particularly drilling in on what you're calling point a this idea of of the wretch being this manifestation of um of everything that's 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 going on with her and specifically the fact that it's very important to her that this is a secret yeah and and throughout the whole text that we've had up to this point it's become like more and more of a palpably shameful secret like everybody at some point in their life especially when you're a kid you like you have some kind of secret and you don't really you're not you don't have the life experience to to manage secrets and so it it just becomes like worse and worse the longer you keep it until it's just like this thing that makes you sick and ruins everything um i presume everyone has horrible secrets right um, <laughs> i'm so, sure they do so or at least secrets that feel horrible to you even if they're not so bad objectively um which is kind of what's happening here. Cause like really what would objectively happen if people found out about her wretch, like like nothing would happen. She would, right. she, she would be reminded of this thing that she doesn't want to think about. That's, that's not so horrible, but for, you know, in her, in her state of mind, it is. So we've had many beats, m- many more than three. We've had many beats emphasizing to increasing degrees of, of like seriousness, like, She's really going out of her way to hide the existence of this thing, even in situations where she could just kind of be like, oh, yeah, that's that's just how my power works and whatever. Like she she'll she'll essentially lie to cover it up. So we we understand very much how important it is that this remain hidden. And then, bam, it's just like you said, it's just blown, it's just blown yeah. in like one one line. And she's not expecting it. And it's so casual. And and I like one of the other the other way it increases the impact is we have Sveta here and we have, he specifically says, Oh, I can use your power. And Sveta says, no, my power is the dangerous one. And it's, it's reinforcing this thing that no, it's Sveta. That's dangerous. It's Sveta. That's out of control. She's the one with the dangerous power. She's the one you can't control. That's Sveta's thing. And then we go, okay, well then I'll take Victoria's. And then it's like, Oh, here's, here's the, that. Yeah. Victoria actually has a power that she can't control very well, a power that could be dangerous, a power that ties into um, one of the the most miserable and awful experiences she's ever had to go through. She has that too. She doesn't look it, but this guy sees through it and and reveals it for the world, or or rather the three of them. But for all intents and purposes to Victoria, it's for the world. Right. And it it even does more than that, Matt, because there's one more tiny little just knife turning moment in this right before this moment right before this reveal wild bill reminds us about the little flirtation that happened between sprite and victoria remember there's this victoria says this moment i like you sprite i liked our talk before everything went to shit when we first met 
And so right before this reveal about the wretch, we're reminded, oh, yeah, remember that time? Remember that time when, when he called her beautiful and said how attracted to her he was? And and she really was flat, actually literally flattered by this, even though it kind of got a little inappropriate. Um, but she was actually flattered, but she just knew that it wouldn't work because she's just not in the place for it right now. Let's remind our readers of that before, right before we have this this deep secret revealed and it just it just twists the night knife because now this guy who thought you were beautiful knows this thing too and and he doesn't fully understand it he doesn't know what it all means but it doesn't matter to her he knows it now right and and that's the thing is even if he did know he probably wouldn't be bothered by it but it's something that she is so desperate to keep hidden and she it matters to her that's what's important yeah, and this is this is this is how this moment works, Matt. It's it's all these things. It's the immediate conflict. It's the extended conflict. It's the inter personal character conflict. The friendship between these two characters. The the past between these other characters. All these things come together in one moment, and then it's like bam, and it hits you. And that's how the story makes you feel this, like Victoria feels it. Yeah, it, that's that's all totally awesome. It's a great <sighs> okay. moment. All right, I'm just going to take a break from talking for now if you just want to take over. Sounds good. Um, so so once they all head out the window, uh, he he did sort of like get permission to use Victoria's flight, but he didn't get permission to use Feta's power, but then he just uses it anyway in Spider-Man fashion and shoots tendrils out and zooms ahead of them. And uh, so it makes us kind of, it says he like looked back at them slyly like like this was funny. Um, yeah. kind of makes us dislike him a little bit. Yeah. And this, uh, this thing that Sveta says, Matt, mm-hmm. <laughs> the look on her face broke my heart a little. It wasn't a longing look where she, it was a longing look where she didn't take her eyes off Sprite and his casual use of her power until he was out of sight. And I love this a lot because like we were just talking about, we were just talking about this, this moment where this thing, Victoria was revealed. And then Wild Bo takes the time here to remind us and Victoria that she's not the only one that Sveta is going through this thing too, that, that, that Sveta is, is damaged and is trying to, to make her way through it and is looking at a person who can, can use her thing in such a casual, easy way. And it's a good reminder to Victoria and to us that, that, that this person is, is, is damaged too. And you need to find strength in them. And I think this is explicitly told that you need to find strength in them in this really wonderful way that Sprite has taken both of their powers and combined them to be able to be stronger. Like he says specifically takes her flight and Sveta's uh, tendrils to fly faster. So he's taken their two powers and combined them together to become better. And that is the book telling us, Hey, you two people, you need to come better. You need to come together. You need to, to mend this crack. You need to, to apologize or talk or communicate or be honest. Mend this. Come together because you are stronger together than you are apart. And, and yeah. I love that so much. And, of course, the tension right now is that they won't. Like that, That's right. what immediately your focus goes to, like, uh-oh, like, like Sveta feels betrayed probably. And Victoria is not really in like the the right mental footing to handle this situation yeah. correctly. So you're really, it's it's interesting. You're there, there's badass cape fight going on in the background, and and as they fly together to where the advance guard is fighting the villains, your like your attention's being split between this 
battle and what the two women are, are doing, but you really want to pay more attention to what the two women are going through because that's where yeah. the heart is right now. Yeah, and, and it, it was it was smart to set this up with Victoria throwing Sveta in that moment with we've already thrown a crack into this thing and then this reveal happens. So it, it, you're absolutely right that that the war, the tension is there was already a crack. Has it broken now? Has has this relationship broken? And there's these moments where where Victoria and Sveta give each other like er, Victoria sees Sveta looking at her and tries to ignore it as the truth comes out and tries to pretend like she's not looking at her because she knows that her friend was already pissed off at her for lying and it's so much bigger than she thought and now it's here again one after another and what is going to happen now yeah right um so uh, just to to pay attention to what's going on in the background mayday's calling in his giant amorphous amoeba ball of mitotic spindles which <laughs> which wipes out the villains and like shoves them around while gently carrying his team along and place, placing them on their feet which is uh, yeah, fun. Uh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to the interpersonal it's, conflict. Uh, oh, Let's okay. All fighting, right. Psh, get out of here. Yeah, get out of here. So the two of them fly up higher into the sky so they can get time to think. And Sveta uh, says, I feel shitty for bringing this up now, but it's really not okay that I barely re- recognize you sometimes and it just got shoved in my face twice. I don't want you to recognize me. Not that. Not, mostly not that. Not I'm glad you're you again. I'm glad I can communicate with you without you bringing up every conversation back to the topic of your sister. Um, it's a lot, a lot there, but I'm going to just yeah. move on to, to the next bit. <laughs> it's my force field moves with the mind of its own. I said, she didn't retort. And it was my instinct that I'd hear her retort. That wasn't based on her, not on the time we'd spent together at the hospital where we'd kept each other company, communicated, shared a computer and tried to keep each other sane. It was based on what I'd want to do. She'd been pressing me, attacking, aggressive, where at my old self, without the two-year-long reality check, I wouldn't have been able to just stop after being on that verbal offensive. I would have pressed. Yeah, so let's talk about this for ever. Yeah, yes. Um, so it, it, there's, there's, you're absolutely right that there's so much going on here. I love this idea of Victoria is fully aware of how much she's changed. And that's something that I don't think you and I have talked about as much on this show so far, is, is just baseline excluding excluding the the stuff that she's gone through with with the the trauma that she's continually going through her instinctual person is different than what it was she is not the glory girl from that that interlude she's just not that person anymore and she is aware of it she knows that she's a different person she remembers being that person and knows that she's a different person from that now yeah i mean it, it, it is worth it to go back to that because she she literally like maimed someone out of peak in that in that interlude, and now she's yeah. this person who refle- reflexively, not even not even through like having to calm herself down, she reflexively tries to de-escalate in most situations, unless she's really mad. And even yeah. when, even when she's really mad, she didn't grab Sprite and try to throw him through a wall, right? She she yeah. she she was mad. She was she was heated, but then she calmed herself down, and it, yeah, it's completely worth pointing out absolutely yeah and and i think this is when we realize that that their relationship will be repaired Mm -hmm. um, because victoria is honest here she is 
completely honest. She she tells exactly what the wretch is. She tells what it is the memory of. And, and Sveta already knows many things about her. And this was just the last piece. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah, th- that's right. So once once it's explained, Sveta climbs around and kind of awkwardly gives her a big hug. Yeah. Um, so because of course, of course, Sveta gets it right. Like right. It, 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 it makes sense. And and all like it's very nice to to have a scene where there's not like artificial contrived drama dependent on characters <laughs> not being consistent with who they are because we know this is who Sveta is and and we're not really surprised but we were we were worried that things would not go well yeah one of the things you see a lot in in storytelling especially serialized storytelling like tv shows um is the need sometimes because you're having to come up with plots and, and conflicts, the need to bend and sometimes break character to serve conflict, um, which is not what Wildbow does here. It's not. It's not how Wildbow writes. It's not how this this scene operates. Char- conflict does not drive character in this story. Character drives conflict. They they characters do not bend to the will of the conflict. The conflict bends around the character, and that's what we're seeing here. Of course, Sveta forgives her. Of course, Sveta understands. Out of anyone in the world, it's going to be this person. And and there are some writers will look at this and want to draw out this conflict, want to divide a wedge between these people because it's it's interesting to take these two people that are the probably the closest out of any of these characters and drive a wedge between them and see what that produces. But it's not who the characters are. It's not who Sveta is. She would not do that. She she would have difficulty with it and she would try to understand, but she, I don't think she's the type of character that would, would just be not non understanding and, and mad after something like this. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, you could, you could drive a wedge between these two characters, but this, this thing would not be enough to do that right. based on right. our it, understanding it, of these characters. Right. And that's, that's not, that's not to say that, that these two characters are going to end the story being bestest friends forever, but you're, you're absolutely right that this conflict, this tension is not enough to cause Sveta to break from character or to break from this relationship. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's not even that I would ever kind of protest the narrative desire to create conflict because that's. Um, it's kind of the whole basis of what we find interesting about narrative, really. Right. Um, but it has to be a credible, uh, a, a credible source of conflict. It has to be yeah. something that you you buy. You you believe these people would behave this way. Yeah. You because you create characters and then you make those characters cause the conflict by their actions. Right. This conflict was caused by Victoria's unwillingness to let anybody know about the wretch. Mm-hmm. That's what drove this conflict and. We have Victoria's propensity to lie, Sveta's propensity to value honesty above all other things, especially when it comes to teammate. That's what created this conflict. And they worked through that in a natural way that didn't break their characters. Yep. Yeah. And it was great. And and you you pointed out, like, of course, Sveta gets this. Um, of all the people in the world, she would get this. And I think that's perfect because there we we've compared them before but it struck me here specifically how victoria is a woman in a monster shell and sveta is a monster in a woman shell um yeah. and that's a very it's it's kind of a tragic reflection but they both find strength from each other yeah it's great yeah it's so good 
It's so good. And the moment, the moment where they, they hug and I wanted to hug her tight, but the pain reminded me that it didn't matter because it was only her shell. So we're still, even in this moment where these two people are coming together and bonding, we're still being fully aware of what their limitations are, that we're, we're not, we're not ignoring these things that she's still a person in a shell. And I yep. Sveta saying, idiot, moron, tell me lame brain. You don't think I 100% get it? You don't think this stuff makes sense to me more than anything or everything else? It's just a beautiful, it's just beautiful. Yeah. I yeah. love it so much. Yeah, it, it's, I, I, I do too. And then it goes on, Sveta knocks her head affectionately against Victoria's, which triggers a memory of a time Sveta had been trying to help Victoria learn to play video games. Uh, Weld had visited Sveta and the meeting hadn't gone well and then he'd visited Victoria and she convinced him to go back to Sveta with a renewed perspective. So all in all, it's a bittersweet memory for her because Weld had walked away with one of Victoria's only friends, but she had done her friend, you know, a favor. Yeah. And that's just, that's new Victoria, right? Like she's, she put these two together. She put her friend above herself knowing that she might lose her. And Matt, is this the first time we think back to Victoria's time in the hospital and really pull out the, the positive. Um, maybe not the absolute first, but it's one of the few. It, 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 so there, there's a couple interesting things about this. Like, like this chapter has a couple of mentions of the fact that she constantly would talk about Amy in the hospital, yeah. which I guess we knew through implication, but this is, it's very interesting to be reminded that not only was she physically monstrous, but but her 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 mind was dominated by this by this preoccupation with yeah. with her sister, and um, that was kind of its own form of torture over and above the physical torture. Um, and it's it's something that she internally has never admitted to. Yeah, um, we've only gotten reinforcements of that through people, other people talking about it. She it's it's part of it's part of her that part of her that she's not willing to admit. And that's completely understandable why she's not willing to admit this is the person that did terrible things to her. And she was forced into the, the extreme desire to have her around. So it makes sense that she ignores that as much as possible. Um, but yeah, we keep seeing through other people reinforcing that this is, this was her. She, we, we saw a, a glimpse of it back in worm that she constantly asking where her sister is where's where's amy let's talk about amy and we keep getting more and more reinforcements of that yeah yeah but she calls this this memory bittersweet and it's not bittersweet because she's thinking about time in the hospital that's not that's not the bitter part of this is because i was in the hospital the bitter part of this is because she lost her friend it's that that she helped her friend out it was a good memory but it reminded her of the fact that her friend left her after that yeah and I think this is a pretty explicit signal for the, the power of their friendship though. I mean, like they need each other. And, and I think more importantly, Victoria needs Sveta on some level, which is something I don't know if she's ever really admitted to herself because this whole time she's been here to be coach. She's, she's been the coach. She's been to guide them, the warrior monk to come down and warrior monk her way through helping the group and sussing out its problems but she's kind of been doing in doing this been ignoring the fact that she needs it as much as other people and i think we're seeing here that that sveta as much as sveta needs her help she needs sveta's 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you could trace like a very important moment in this story, you know, in, in retrospect is the moment where they met again because Victoria was pretty lost until then. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Like it really, it really mattered. So, and they're kind of lost right now. Yeah. Until until they until Sveta asks that question. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Sveta is kind of a bit of an anchor for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Sveta asks, uh, "What are we doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and Victoria answers, "I think we know what it is to be powerless and to be stuck like that, and not always having people able or willing to help." Just about every member of the team does. Yeah. We'll help those people. Cedar Point is a group of those people. Yeah, and and it's so funny because Sveta asked this question, this what are we doing? And Victoria's initial response is, well, we're hugging and we're stopping the advanced guard. And Sveta's response is, no, that's, that's, that's right now. She, what she's really asking is, what are we doing? What are we doing? Right. Like, what is... <laughs> What is this thing that we're doing? What is it? And Victoria kind of cements, cements that mission. She says, everyone in this group knows what it's like to be powerless. We are going to help the people that feel that way. Mm-hmm. And that and, 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 and Cedar Point in the immediate is that, but it's not just that. It's like, that's our goal now. After, after we deal with Cedar Point people, our, our mission today, our mission tomorrow, our mission to the future is set. The Misfit Toys, this group is going to help the powerless. Yeah. And I think it's I think this pair of chapters actually fairly solidly sets aside this idea that Victoria is just like oh I'm I'm just hanging around I'm just the coach right uh, right uh, th- this moment and and a bit later we have another moment that I think kind of ends that yeah fairly effectively um, yeah so at this we we kind of wrap up our emotional bit here Victoria decides it's time the misfit toys are moving in so they tell Luxie and Capricorn on the phone. Uh, that they're doing this and cap says i spent five minutes on the phone with natalie before giving up um <laughs> why even have legal counsel guys yeah oh. to victoria's credit though matt to to let's give her credit uh-huh. she does recall that after showing her the footage natalie came over to their side so this is the moment where she's like oh yeah we need to give her like feeds of kenzie's cameras because once she sees this stuff she'll totally be on our side it's just that we are bad at explaining it with words yeah, I don't know. Well, I can. I, I mean, it's funny to me because, like, I, I I try to put myself in the shoes of like a you know a, a lawyer or whatever, and have someone like call me on the phone like, "Hey, we have a situation." <laughs> <laughs> okay, I need to know, and, and you're just like, like, look, I I need all of the evidence in front of me, and I need a, a couple hours to think this through. Like, you can't you can't do this to me, you know. Natalie, this person is ripping their ribs out of their body <laughs> and throwing them at me and they're exploding. Yeah, right. Is this legal? Yeah. You get it. That's it's not going to uh, work. Yeah. I'm going anyway. to I'm gonna have to consult my, my books. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, th- there's this really good part right, right before they land, though, where, where as this thought pops into Victoria's head where she says, fucking advanced guard. Fucking Prancer's people, fucking wretch, hospital, mom, Amy. And I really like this because we're basically moving through all those conflicts, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're moving one by one through each and one of Victoria's conflict from the the immediate to the more, the, the, the larger, longer 
book-wide conflicts. We're moving through them one by one, and, and we start with the immediate fucking advance guard, and we end, of course, of course, with the root of all of it, mm-hmm. Amy. And I think that's this really great moment as she she centered herself, she's got her mission, and now she's ticking through the the things that she has to deal with. Right, it's like it's like in, uh, decreasing order of immediacy, but increasing order of deep emotional destruction. Right, right. Um, yeah. So yeah, Victoria badassedly lands them in the midst of the advanced guard. She notes that the villains are segregated into their various groups. We have bitter pills groups, but we have prancers and um, another faction who I guess eventually kind of turn out to be the, the more violent capes that are led by uh, beast of burden, even though he's not here yet. Anxiety. Chris, of course, is still screaming in the background. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. She did a fucking superhero landing though, Matt. Like she did it. I know. Well, she almost did it. Her knee didn't touch the ground, but it almost right. touched the ground. That's... She was very close to doing the superhero landing. Yeah. Well, uh, that 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 immediately made me remember that in in her interlude in Worm, she does that, but she like smashes the ground and shatters the sidewalk when she does it. Right. Which she would not do now because that's property damage. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, um I also like like when they land, Sprite calls out, "They're friendly." And Shortcut says, you sure about that? And just a reminder that Shortcut is an asshole. Yes, just, God. Let's, let's never forget that. God, God, I hate Shortcut after these chapters. Shortcut is such a douche. Okay. Yeah. So she, she just kind of looks over everything. We see that we've got like 18 villain, villains, seven advanced guard, and four misfit toys, plus Chris, who's just kind of off to the side doing his own thing. <laughs> um, and a big, big cape fight ensues. And it's a it's a good one, Matt. We we talked a little bit last week about um, that that we thought, or at least I thought that um, the fight last week lost some of the geography. Like I lost track of what was going on and where a little bit. Um, I don't feel that problem here, and I think the action here is is interesting and and exciting and and clear and fluid. I really like it. Mm-hmm, me too. Yeah. So like I mentioned at the outset of this episode, we've gradually set up many of these capes in the background. We saw Shortcut's power in literally the first chapter. Mayday's power has been established. Moose's power has been shown a bit. We know vaguely what Bitter Pill's power is and, and Sprite's. Um, we don't. We haven't seen Etna before, but it's easy enough to remember. It was like Mount Etna, the volcano. Mm-hmm. Um we, we know Snag, Love Lost, Nailbiter. I mean, I'm basically just running through these to kind of point out how many of these characters we are familiar with at this point so so it it feels very organic when when they kind of all open up at the same time yeah there's one or two new ones introduced here but they they're kind of so much off to the periphery that it doesn't the details of them don't matter um one of the things i wanted to point out that's the the big thing i noticed in this fight was love lost and snag and how they work together um we specifically point out a moment when snag assists love lost by like getting up on the side of a building um he like throws her and then also when she's picked up by sveta and dropped to the ground from a a high distance he like jumps into the air and, and like hulk catches her um and i think that's very interesting because like we know these people are like bound to each other through the, this cluster, um, we know that they're bound in this common pur- purpose of we hate rain and we want to kill rain. But they also like we're, we're seeing moments where they like they're a team and they work together and like he he he's looking out for her. They they care about each other also on, on some level. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. He, he actually appears to care about her genuinely. It's not just 
you know a functional relationship right they're not just together because we want to kill rain it's it's something something more than that at least with at least with these two but i'm guessing that's the feeling across that that side of the cluster yeah i mean they've been working together for for a while now um and even though she can't talk you get the sense that they they know and trust each other so yeah so uh victoria and sveta go after love lost and then victoria comes around and distracts the thinker villains from behind with another uh as another mayday projectile sails in the violent clique led by bob uh, beast of burden arrives but the rest of the toys arrive at the same time rain looksy and capricorn <laughs> okay so not to to dig into rain too much than the book already kind of does <laughs> But we have this moment where Beast of Burden shows up and he's with like his steel armor and like bull horns and some of his people have spikes all over their armor and there's like these badass violent capes show up and they're the violent click. They're the ones that do damage. And then it's like this moment of foreboding and then Victoria like triumphantly thinks, but we have reinforcements too. And it's Rain, a little girl, and Capricorn. <laughs> yeah. And like Capricorn's is pretty great. Um, Luxie is great too. I'm not diminishing them, but it's just like this this immediate contrast. You're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's like the first time we've seen Rain's costume, and it's it's pretty pretty yeah. pretty dismal actually. Yeah, just uh, trying to look like a robot. It just it just looks like something from from like a um, what's that musical group called? Whatever, whatever. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry, everyone. Rain will save you. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the chapter wraps up with, uh, hey, Mayday, Luxie said. He was silent as he turned to look at her. She had her flash gun out. Oh, shit, no, Mayday said. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, the, I think this, this end works so brilliantly, and I think it does so because of what we just talked about, because we had this big contrast with these violent capes with metal and sharp points contrasting with the arrival of these three people and the one Mayday reacts to is not all the bad guys that just showed up on the other side of the field. But, but little Kenzie here, <laughs> that's his reaction, is to the little Kenzie joining. And it's like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Which any beat that emphasizes how disconcerting Kenzie is is one of my favorite yeah. parts of the story. Yep. yep. Of course, I was trying to think of Daft Punk. So don't at me. Um, I'm going to at you. Okay. Yeah. All right. So 5.5 opens up, and we just continue right on. So Capricorn opens up with his orange sparks, which he's kind of letting float around in strategic locations. The villains are, of course, avoiding these because they don't know who he is or what his power does. For all they know, these are like Sundancer things that are going to kill them. Yeah, I like I like that that little beat of world building that like capes, whenever capes see like floating particles, they're just like, yeah, I'm just going to stay away from those. <laughs> Right. Probably death rays. Yeah, really, really, there's no balance in this world, so yeah. they really could be. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, more of the advanced guard capes are teleported out, leaving only those with some mobility. Um, and in the background, pretty much every time Prancer is like advocating for any kind of restraint or, or anything like that, uh, Ashley is saying uh, uh undermining things so there's like a, a moment where it's like ashley said something i didn't hear nail biter sniggered um so there, there she is just undermining the leadership in the background as a mole yeah. she's clutch and also also we see here that she like uses her power on something and blows something up 
Yeah. And, and Victoria's like, oh, Natalie's not going to like this. Yeah. yeah. Like, what was she attacking with her power in this moment? <laughs> like, she probably just like blew up a building for no reason. Yeah. I Ca- love Ashley. Car was in her way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Kenzie and Mayday briefly continue their uh, interaction. It's clear that Kenzie wishes that they could talk about the good old days and Mayday does not remember them as being the good old days. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is set up for the the conversation that happens at the end of the chapter. So I think we'll wait to talk about all this then. Yeah. So Victoria and Sprite go to intercept Nailbiter, who's trying to climb over Tristan's moats. Sprite uses Nailbiter's own power to fend her off. And they have a little fencing match. Side piece <laughs> offers her own special brand of support, throwing exploding ribs at Victoria. Um, Scott, I'm going to guess just based on what I know of parahumans, that side pieces power does not come with local anesthesia. What the fuck is this power? <laughs> where, where does Wildbook get this crazy shit from? How do you, how do you like train with this power? How do you discover? <laughs> where you're just like, huh? Just, I'm just, oh, oh, my rib just came off. Oh, it just, I threw it and it blew up. Yeah. Yeah. Dear God. I'm going to guess that, that was just something that was happening anyway at the time that she triggered. I'm sure. Who knows? I'm sure. Yeah. Dear God. Yeah. Um, so I really like this bit where Victoria flies towards side piece, caroming off a series of objects to kind of almost like hypnotize her into anticipating an impact. But then at the last second, she holds up and just hits with her aura. So it, it does the same, you know, it, it, it emotionally hits her really powerfully. It's a good kind of psychological attack that she employs. Yeah, and this got me thinking because I think Victoria herself doesn't have a lot of like high level battlefield tactics, right? Like she's not like the general that's going to order the team and and control the battlefield. She in fact in this section we specifically see like someone starts throwing trash cans. I think it's Velvet that throws a trash can in the air to test the to test Capricorn's floating moats and, and Victoria's reaction to that is that's someone else's problem. Um, so, so the high level, like general of battlefield, she doesn't seem to have, but on the individual level, on the Cape to Cape fighting, um, she's really smart and resourceful because she basically just gets attention and then fakes out side piece in order to beat her. Yeah. And it's really clever. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Yeah. She's, she's, She's good at this game and she's she's a natural leader, but she doesn't necessarily immediately automatically go to the strategic level. Yeah. So Capricorn steals, uh, sorry, seals Nailbiter in a block of stone and the good guys start to retreat. Victoria hangs back and uses her aura to stop Moose when he tries to ram through the wall and they have a brief exchange. She apologizes for his face. He says it's not all bad. Chicks dig it, but his mom would cry if she saw it which all sort of comes together to cement Moose as our favorite character. Yeah, I thought I thought we were already there, but I guess yeah. we just need a little more, a little more support. Yeah. This this is a fun little bit of character interaction in the middle of our fight and it's tying us back to the wretch again and and reminding Victoria and us about her her control over her power. I like there there's this there's this moment in the last chapter we didn't talk about where Victoria is channeling every bit of her anger into her presence like she's pissed off and she's taking every little bit of her anger that she has both in the present and everything that she was mad about from the hospital and everything into trying to to help her aura in any way she can to turn her aura from being awe-inspiring to 
like oh holy shit yeah um and like we see that and we we kind of contradict it with with this where she's having this casual conversation (laughs) with moose um apologizing for what she did and i think because she hurt him because she really didn't mean to but hurt him she's really reticent to fight this guy anymore and we see that a little bit later like he's echoing and gaining and she's like i might have to attack this guy and i really don't want to because every time i i get close every, every time i get um with him I'm reminded of what I did and I'm reminded of the wretch and she, she specifically is, she sees the wretch hitting his face. She sees the blood. Like this is something that, that she's not really fully dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so Victoria, she, like you said, she doesn't, she doesn't really stand toe to toe with him there. She kind of backs off even though she probably could continue to bar his path. Yeah. Um, so she, she flees and then velvet drives, um, I think her her truck, although it may be a different vehicle, I'm I'm generally not sure. Um, through the hole that Moose made, Victoria catches up with her people, noting that Luxie is keeping up with the much faster capes inexplicably, um, which just completely went over my head at the time. Um, and it's Rain, oh poor cardiovascular health, Fraser, who is lacking behind. Oh, poor Rain, poor Rain. Yeah. Um. So ahead of the group, Anxiety Chris was at the corner of the street, clutching at his face with all of his legs. He screamed as he saw us coming. <laughs> and I, I don't think this will ever stop being funny. No. I, there is an interesting beat with this, though, because Sprite, like, sees Chris and beelines for him mm-hmm. and is, like, chasing him around. And he screams, like, give at yeah. him. It's like he wants that power. And I wonder if that's just, like... This thing is so crazy that he's just curious and wants to see what this power would be or if his power itself like kind of makes him desire that taking of powers. Mm-hmm. Like if there's something in his shard that makes him like seek out powers to take from people mm-hmm. and and that could be problematic. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, it made me think because he just mentioned how he liked taking changer powers the most. So it, it, right. it seemed plausible that he would especially want Chris's, um, assuming that he's a changer, which is correct, obviously. Yeah, it, it, it's de- definitely contrasting with the fact that he asked Sveta and mm-hmm. Victoria first. Right. Um, yeah, I do. I wonder if we're going to find out like why he even bothers to ask when he doesn't seem to need to. It's very interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think there's there's. A certain amount of consent there. I mean, your powers are part of you. It's it's you, and it's mm-hmm. like someone. I mean, it, it's someone kind of coming in and taking part of you. I mean, there's. I think you probably should ask. <laughs> generally, um, this is bad guys, of course. Like, I don't think you should say, "Hey, nailbiter, you mind if I uh, right. if I take this?" But yeah, I think your teammates or, or people working on your team asking is probably a. a a nice thing to do. That's true, but he he sort of asks Sveta, and she sort of says no, and then he uses it anyway. So it, th- that was what kind of confused me and made me think, made me just wonder what his motivation is. But you're probably right that he's just being generally polite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's I, would if because Sveta didn't say no. But she didn't say yes yeah, either. Yeah, she just said it's dangerous. Right. Like, but. if she had flat out said no, would he have taken it anyway? That's interesting. Yeah, I we, wonder. We, we don't know. Yeah, yeah we we'll, don't know. we'll let's let's put that to yeah. let's put a pin in that and uh, pay attention Sounds to it. Sounds good. So then we have this tonal shift moment where Etna shoots a white hot glass ball 
at them and uh victoria catches one but fails to catch the next and it hits kinsey right in the face brutally killing her well shit i mean uh, no it just a projection it knocks down the camera that was uh, projecting the <laughs> kinsey hologram oh my uh, god her death her death <laughs> so yeah. good. Uh, i'm dead yeah <laughs> Um, everybody even the villains is caught off guard by how bad that almost was and everybody just kind of like pulls up short like holy shit yeah and in retrospect it makes rain look slightly less lame because the only reason why kenzie was keeping up with everyone and he was the only one lagging behind was because she was a, a projection right yeah yeah uh so it leads to an argument between bob and prancer about whether killing an encroaching hero would have been deserved or not bob yeah. clarifies at this point helpfully that he'll actively try to kill people if another cape group invades it seems that we're witnessing a split within the group happening in real time as bob takes his faction of violent capes and leaves um and due to the way prancer deals with this and behaves generally i'm starting to like him quite a bit more actually yeah i am too he's he's a very he's a villain in the classic wormian sense of things if that's a, a word I just made up right now, where he's like, he's unquestionably doing bad things. Like he's doing illegal things. He's gun running. He's drug running. But but he means well, Matt. I mean, <laughs> on, on some level, he he out of all the, the villains, out of all the bad guys we've seen so far, like he's trying to set something up. He's trying to set up a place where people that that don't belong as part of the system can can live and be successful. And. And we'll learn later he's actively trying to take out a group which he considers monstrous. Um, yeah. But there, there is there's a bit of worry in this too, though, Matt. I, I, there's there's this moment where he he acknowledges that this role, this role he's taken upon himself is not him. But he says, I have a lot I need to learn, but I'll change until I fit the role. Right. So he acknowledges that right now he's not suited to this because either he's too nice or too um, he he is too morally straight or morally convicted that he doesn't want to go to these dark paths. But basically, he says, I'll get there eventually. So how long until Prancer becomes Beast of Burden? How long until he agrees that killing someone, killing a teenager is the in the best interest of his group? How long before this whole thing falls apart? Yeah, I, I don't know if he has the the metal for it actually, which is, which is uh, like, I'm not saying it would be a good thing if he did have the metal for it either. I'm, I'm just saying like, it takes a certain amount of spine in the first place to become the kind of monster that he's imagining that he can be. I don't know if he is capable of that. Um, right. He, he may he may very well be it. It's it, we'll we'll see. I I suppose. What um, we're kind of seeing is the two outcomes here are either he fails to transition into that role and is defeated by someone worse than him, or he just becomes that worse person himself. Yeah. And that, I mean, those are, those aren't great. Yeah. <laughs> those, aren't, those aren't great options. Right. What, what makes us like him, I suspect is that you can very easily imagine him saying in kind of a frustrated tone, why can't people just work together? Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. And when you look at what he's trying to do, it's very similar to what some other villain characters were trying yeah. to do. So, yeah um similar but not the same i think it is distinct in that they're being a lot less you know cautious in terms of what they're actually doing right they're i mean they're also running guns and, and drugs and yeah a whole bunch of Just terrible things shaking people down and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, this is that he is not running 
a section of the world like Taylor did yeah, at all. Right. Um, yeah. But also he has a very different power set and, and an inability to do the things the way she did. Right. It's an interesting comparison though. So Victoria at this point lets on that they know about the planned attack on the fallen. And she yeah. said, she says, no, you need to loop the, the wardens in, get the full picture, get help. If you fight them, you need to win unequivocally. It's handled. Snag said, and if you don't keep your mouth shut, you'll be sabotaging it. Too late, Snag. Too late. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, bud. Sorry about that. Um, there's, there's a line in here I really like, though. Right, right after uh, Prancer echoes Snag and says, it's handled. This isn't about the PRT or about heroes and villains. What's it about then, Sveta asked. It's about monsters. And... As, as you and I have talked about before, the term monster has very specific thematic meaning within these stories and within this world. And I think what we're seeing here and what we've kind of been leading up to talking about this whole time is Prancer echoing a, a rejection of some of old world terms because he's saying this isn't about the PRT or about heroes and villains. This is not the co- old cops and robbers game that was played before this is not that the game that we're kind of playing here i mean that's kind of what they were doing here matt they, they were playing cops and robbers basically because literally in the middle of the fight when someone potentially got hurt everyone just stopped fighting to say hey that's not fair you, yeah you cheated yeah <laughs> and foul yeah ex- exactly so i mean that's that's kind of what this this fight this thing has been this very classic heroes and villains cops and robbers type of thing where we're fighting each other we don't really want to hurt each other we don't really want to kill anyone um we just want we're just having this hero villain power struggle and and prancer comes in here says it's not like what we're doing here is not about that what we're doing here is not classic villains setting up a thing so we can we can fight back and forth with you heroes we're worried about something else we're worried about the monsters and i think He's specifically referring to the fallen and and rain here, um, but but I think that gets into something we see near the end of this thing is that 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 this the group that's taking on the big issues, the group that's taking on the big problems, seems to be this these guys. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, we we don't know how much of the full picture we're getting, but yeah, I think right that's what we're being led to believe anyway. Yeah. Um, so at this point, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a resolution here. Um, Prancer semi-brags about another Case 53 joining them a few hours later, which I guess uh, we get to see toward the end of this chapter. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, he uses his talk about monsters to draw that link to the Case 53, almost seemingly, like, specifically to piss off Sveta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, that's what this is designed to do, which, of course we'll get into tattletale at the end of this thing, but it seems like that is information that was given to him by a certain thinker. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true. Um, so at this point, rain pulls out the flash gun that Kenzie had and he blinds everyone and the good guys escape. Rain did something. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So we now flash forward a little bit and we regrouped with the rest of advance guard. Capricorn helps deescalate the argument uh, between basically between Victoria and the advance guard. Uh, in this instance, it's interesting because Victoria is not really interested in playing that particular role. Yeah, she's mad. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm impressed with Tristan a little bit here. 
stepping into that leadership role and, and realizing that the person who you normally de-escalates this thing is not in the mood to right now. And so you have to step up and do it. Um, I, I, the fact that the only other misfit to speak up here is rain who sides with Victoria, um, is interesting. It makes sense when you think about it, like he's the one in the most immediate danger here and, and, and what happened here today could serve to hurt him the most. So I, he's probably pretty ticked off too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that is interesting. Um, and also, I think he's just a little bit ragged at this point. Yeah. So, Kenzie... Well, you've you've read the next chapter, so you know why Well, I don't. Well, you already know that it was his night last night, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. So, Kenzie, though, at this point, can't stop herself from being excited to be around Mayday again. And Mayday shuts her down hard. Uh, Flapper is actually shocked at how cruel Mayday appears to be and forces him to explain why he's doing it. Sprite and another cape there, Signal Fire, reluctantly share their Kenzie the Cable Guy horror stories. Um, <laughs> and Luxie says, so embarrassing. I went to stand next to her and put my hand on her shoulder. Sveta sat down next to her. Luxie leaned into her. So that that's kind of nice because, like, the the uh, Victoria and, and Sveta, the kind of the two hearts of the team, are are giving her support to let her know that she's still kind of loved and accepted even while these other guys kind of remind her of all all of the stuff that she really regrets about her past yeah yeah and and we do learn a little bit more detail about the kinds of stuff that kinsey did doctoring photos of herself with heroes which were then discovered and made the heroes look bad hiding in the men's room to get a chance to talk to mayday and basically inadvertently ruining careers and herself spending years in and out of asylums yeah and I don't like the, this isn't like a huge reveal, right? I mean, it's right. details that shed lights on things that Houndstooth talked about, but it's not like this huge this. This is in line with everything that we've heard about Kenzie yeah. before. Um, but the details, of course, are still hard to to read and and almost the more tragic when you realize that, like, none of this was intentional on her part. None of this was malicious or or like had any any desire to get anyone in trouble she just didn't understand she's just obsessed and did not understand right right and that's really tragic yeah i think i think maybe like and i'm speaking for myself here like i wasn't very well able to extrapolate the kinds of things like i wasn't able to imagine examples of the kinds of things that hound seuss was talking about very successfully but this, by giving just a couple of examples, I'm like, oh, okay. I I now right. I now get what Kinsey's problem is much more fully because I have like these concrete examples, and I'm like, okay, right. now I now I can actually imagine other sorts of things like this that she may have been up to, and the picture is a lot more complete. So I do appreciate yeah. getting this little bit of extra detail. I agree. I mean, there were the allusion to the fact that her teacher got investigated could have led you to the same thing but it's it's definitely more explicit yeah. here yeah, yeah. And the thing that yeah. kind of sorry go ahead i was just say people like me need your hand held, held sometimes <laughs> sometimes sometimes we all do yeah um the thing that i think shook me the most about this interaction though is how both signal fire and later mayday shift into calling kenzie kid as they're explaining this stuff mm -hmm. like we have this kid in a swimsuit hanging out with an instructor at a hotel pool Questions were raised, answered pretty quickly because of kids' prior history. 
It wasn't wholly impossible he was skipping patrols and hanging out with the kid instead. Mm-hmm. Kid was lonely. Thought photos of her and the instruction she liked, instructor she liked most would be nice to have. Now, I think this kind of makes sense because the important part of the conversation, the important part of the story is the fact that Kenzie was a child when she was doing with those things. Like the reason why this was a problem was because she was a kid. So their language seems to be enforcing the child nature of her in this moment more than anything. But it also like distances themselves from her. Like we're, we're not talking about a specific person. We're not talking about Kenzie a person who's here standing here as you're talking about them. It's just kid did this kid did that. Um, it, it kind of depersonalizes the events as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was, I was going to say depersonalize. That's exactly right. Yeah. They're, they're distancing themselves. Yeah. And as usual, the misfit toys, of course, of course, including Victoria this time, defend her. Absolutely defend her. But I think it's kind of funny to see that Tristan falls into the pattern yeah. Um, where he says she's a great kid. So he like they've just said kid this kid that and he falls into that a bit and he's defending her like I'm not calling out Tristan or anything. It's just like sometimes when, when people speak in a certain pattern, you fall into it when you're arguing back against them. But yeah, he, he matches he matches her way of speaking. Yeah. Um, or their way of speaking rather to to emphasize his point. Yeah, it's true. Kenzie doesn't seem to really have a problem with being thought of as as a kid because she she, no. she knows she's younger. So no, yeah, no. So yeah, so so Mayday finally kind of admits that he's bitter, and we get a, the sense that part of the reason Advance Guard is going to back off here is that they want nothing to do with Kenzie specifically. Yeah. Uh, so good job, Kenzie. Stranger Five power to freak out anybody so badly <laughs> that they run away. Yeah, um, I, I I'm kind of okay with this, Matt. Yeah. I have complex relationship with these advanced guard people. <laughs> yeah. Like, happy to see the end of them. So Sprite offends the women in his group by implying that they're not pretty. And <laughs> and they summarily relieve him of the notebook that he stole from Prancer's office and hand it over to the toys. Later on, uh, we skip ahead a bit. They look through the notebook and it's a ledger containing shipments of guns, drugs, uh, records of robberies. Oh yeah, human human trafficking too. Yeah, apparently, some, some of that going on. So seems like Prancer is already shifting into his new role right. here, as he's up in his game. Yeah, he's not just a drug runner anymore. Yeah, Victoria then takes Tristan aside and asks, "What's up with the whole hand sign thing?" Uh, Tristan won't really give her much uh, regarding like why he's doing this. He does deny that putting Victoria and Sveta together was a play on anything other than the tactical level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he also makes it clear here that he doesn't trust the other members of the group, mm-hmm. right? He, she specifically asks him, um, first, are you trustworthy? Which he says he is. Um, but do you trust everyone else? And he he answers that I think I'm the most trustworthy of, of everyone here. And this got me thinking... Because this is not the first time we've seen this. We've had, at separate occasions, we've had different members of the Misfit Toys come to Victoria and basically say, everyone else is worse than me. Like, Ashley comes in first and says, you think I'm the worst one here? No, I'm not even close. Sveta comes to her and says how worried she is about the group, that that she's worried about what's going on with the group, that, that, that there's dishonesty here and she's worried. Tristan now kind of says the same thing. He says, I'm the most trustworthy here. I wonder... If we're gonna, if this trend is gonna continue, and we're gonna have each one in turn come to her and be like, everybody else, I'm the good. These people, 
Jesus. Yeah. Um, I'm very interested to see it. I'm going to be paying attention to that as we go. It is very interesting that like that one by one, they seem to be coming to her saying, I agree with you that something's going on in this group. I'm worried about it too. It's not me. Yeah. It's those people. Right. And it's plausible that they could all be saying that and none of them could be lying. Like th- right. they all yeah. from their point of view think that, you know, yeah, I'm screwed up, but not as bad as Ashley. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And and the, the the thing that complicates this is that, that this is, I mean, saying that they don't trust the other people in the group is not a knock on their friendship. They are, they care about each other very much. Tristan even says it here. He cares a lot about Rain and even about Chris. He says, <laughs> I like how he says even Chris. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Like they, they are a very close group of friends. They, they legitimately care about each other, but they are also scared because they know things are going on and they are worried about other people in the group. And I think it's interesting that Victoria is kind of like serves this role of, I'm going to come to you and and agree with your paranoia with my own, but it's not really clearing anything up. Yeah. And no, still nobody's willing to to betray whatever this confidence is that Yamada and, and, and uh, Tristan here are referring to as being something that they're not willing to, to, to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Victoria seeks reassurance that she's wanted here by the group, which Tristan provides, and then she says, "Good. It would be, it would be pretty hard for me to walk away at this point if you said no." Um, and so there we are, Matt. Yeah, that's that's the other shoe dropping that I mentioned earlier, where mm-hmm. where we're kind of getting rid of this idea that Victoria really would just be okay if, if she just kind of you know distance herself from the group it's like no she's she's not gonna walk away she doesn't want to yeah this is this is her team now the the, she is part of the team she i mean she can still serve in that coach role because she has the most experience but she is a misfit toy yeah so inside later on on the monitors they watch a big villain meetup commence aaron has left uh, and and kinsey also is is uh with her parents now Mm-hmm. First, a trio of K-63s arrive in a camper. Next, Tattletail, Aiden, Snuff and the Mercenaries, followed by Imp and her Heartbroken, the Needlepoints, and Rachel. And uh, um, Victoria says it out like, Rachel Lint, Hellhound, bitch. Which I think is, uh, I don't know, I'm probably reading too much into it, but it's like real name, what her enemies call her that she rejects, and then the name that she's taken for herself, so kind of an interesting pattern yeah as why she why she uses the names like that i'm not sure why exactly yeah. I, yeah i i thought about that for a while i i don't i don't know either other than she's kind of running through them all in her head mm-hmm. and then there's other capes that we don't uh that we don't know or that victoria at least doesn't know and then it says that the undersiders chatted like long lost friends tattletale was exempt standing back smiling um <laughs> so Let's talk about this for a minute, Matt, because yeah. this is the Undersiders. Yeah. We've, we've gotten the Undersiders together again. They're all here in front of us. And first of all, we, as we hinted toward at the beginning of the podcast, this is five arcs into the story now is the first time we're doing this. So Wild Bo held on to this for a long time he, because this there is there is a certain part of this that could be seen as a little fan servicey when like you bring back the old characters. But I think what we did here is we made sure through five arcs we made sure that everyone understands this story is not about the undersiders this is not about tattletale this is not about rachel this is not about imp this is about 
these characters, these characters that we spent five arcs with now, we're going to bring these guys back. They're going to be involved with these people. But, but look, even in the scene where we're reintroduced to them, we're at arm's length. We're not even in amongst them right. yet. We're, we're watching them from a distance. This yeah. is not their story anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't think I'm being nitpicky when I say that like, this isn't even the undersiders. Uh, the undersiders originally were grew regent uh taylor and 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 uh lisa and 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 rachel so so lisa and rachel are the only two undersiders that are alive as far as victoria knows um the rest of them were you know later additions right which which is fine we can still call them undersiders but like it, it it makes sense that victoria would think of them as undersiders but like um I, I, it, you you can't have a reunion of the undersiders because like half of them are dead. So yeah, that's true. Um, so it's it's always bittersweet. You know, it's it's bittersweet for us, although that's not certainly what Victoria's feeling. Anyways, uh, so Snag and Love Lost take Tattletale aside, and they tell her that Cradle is here, ready to deploy, which is evocative. Uh, and then she says, "We'll deliver." You'll get your fourth. I get each of you for three years. That's fine, Snag said. Just don't tell me whatever you end up doing to him. And we're golden, she said. Um, she said, staring directly at the camera. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is this is the other this is the other half of that that two beat I guess we were talking about, mm-hmm. um, where we had Victoria talking to Sprite, but actually talking to hollow point. Now we have tattletale talking to the cluster, but is actually like very explicitly talking to Victoria and talking to the misfit toys. She looks at the camera before she says all of this stuff. So it, the, we're, we're not, we're, we're not hiding this at all. Right. This is, she, she is talking to these people and I love, I love talking about words, Matt. Yeah. And I love talking about the word golden and the connotation that the word gold means in a post-gold morning world. Yeah. Because there is, uh, it's very easy to just read that as as what the colloquialism means. It's just like, we're golden, we're good. But that's not what, gold is bad in this world. Yeah. This is the end of the world. Right. It's like she's so, crossing her fingers verbally. Right. Right. And that's, that's that's clever and it's very tattletale it's very tattletale to talk like that so before we wrap up because we're matt we're going we're going long again um but before we wrap up i just want to talk about kind of what what all this means now because we've gotten all these people together they are very clearly going to do their to mount their attack on the fallen right this is this is what this this meetup is either to discuss it or to to start it like this is going to start now um and so we, we have this idea that, that perhaps, perhaps Tattletale has been kind of manipulating things around this the whole time. Yeah. And we don't, we don't know how much yet, but we are, like, if you start to pay attention to it and you, you start to see little things like, like, of course, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence that the, the organization that we assume Tattletale tricked into coming and attacking here today, the advanced guard happens to be headed up by someone who has previous relationship with Kenzie. Um, it seems, doesn't seem like a coincidence that, that 
they specifically brought in a trio of case 53s that all have a history with Sveta. It seems like we're, we're doing things specifically to have a side advantage, but to target members of the misfit toys. And that, that feels very Lisa to me. Yeah. To, to target them more psychologically, you mean? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's not something that, that I had thought of. Um, um, and I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, one way or the other. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that, that is very, very interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Any more comments about the chapter? Um, well, probably, but <laughs> we gotta, we gotta call it sometime. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, so, so name game, um, uh, side piece. Uh, I actually <laughs> looked up what that like literally means and, and apparently it's, it's, you know, a, a mistress, but a mistress specifically who the man has no, interest in having an actual emotional relationship with them uh-huh. it's purely physical so that's poor side piece poor side piece yeah it's for tragic connotations of your name um <laughs> who rips off pieces of your sides and throws them um etna of course is a volcano which is named after like a sprite but i think really the main usage is just the volcano yeah um, and she shoots you know glass liquid glass uh, sprite i thought was actually kind of interesting because sprite is not a word sprite s-p-r-i-t-e is a word and that of course means like an elf or a fairy or mm-hmm. or also like a video game sprite like a small represented r- representation you know shape character um sprightly as in s-p-r-i-g-h-t-l-y is also a word meaning like uh spry and energetic usually applied yeah. to old people um but sp- sprite the way sprite's name is spelled is not actually a word as far as i can tell which is kind of interesting so it's just kind of this mix of connotations of the word of the two of sprightly and and elf sprite uh it gets you this interesting kind of image of what he what he is and who he is uh, without actually being a word yeah and it, it i think it fits because he sprightly works a lot because he um says he tends to steal powers that give him moving advantages, right? Like he always gets to stay ahead of the curve because he can move by stealing other people's powers, can move around quicker. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, so like I think, I think, I think Sprite, I think, yeah, anyway. Um, I'm, I'm sure that S-P-R-I-G-H-T is, actually a word in some sense but you never hear anyone use it that way i think is more more correct anyways uh so the discussion question for this week can the cops and robbers norm persist in the wild west of gimel and should it yeah i'm very interested in this one too it is kind of similar to our legal question but i think a little bit different because i think we are seeing one of the big things we're seeing here as we talked about is this idea that some of these people, Victoria especially, and some other people are really anxious to return to that kind of cops and robbers mentality because it, it, it means it's simpler, it's easier, it, it's good guys, it's bad guys, lines are drawn, things are understood, we get it. And is that a good thing or or not? Yeah, and and does it seem like it can even exist in this world where these stakes are completely different than they were before. Right, right. All right, uh, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. Remember that you guys are all part of the show now, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. Yeah, and so 
one thing we realize is most of these discussion question answers come through on the Parahumans Reddit thread that we make for this episode. But if you want to participate in the question and don't have a Reddit account or don't want to deal with Reddit, you can email us your response to the question as well. We will check email, um, comments on the YouTube video for this, comments on the website for the episode. You know, feel free to reach out to us any way, any way you want to, because you can reach us that way. At, our email is gotwormpod at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter. I probably wouldn't send your response via Twitter because it's not really conducive to that, but you can follow us anyway at gotwormpod. And uh, my personal Twitter is at scottdaily85s, and Matt's is at sidepiece. That's right. Um, and is that more dinner mail? It's not. It's, it's I more dinner mail. I wish it was that side piece. It's, a, it's great. I wonder if that's taken. Yeah. Got to check as soon as we, since we're done. Um, <laughs> if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. As always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. This week on the main feed, an episode that isn't out yet because I'm running behind, but Michael and I uh, are going to talk about Jessica Jones Season 2. That's right. That's right, Matt. Michael watched a Marvel thing. What? I was shocked. He watched a Marvel thing, and he wants to talk about what? it. What? I don't believe it. I guess the, the boycott's over. Did he not realize it was Marvel? He had to have. <laughs> uh, also, on our, our other show, Vow to View, uh, Elise and I are going to be discussing our favorite female action hero stars and their movies because Elise has never seen Terminator. What? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Terminator and the movie she picked, just Tomb Raider. <laughs> anyway, that episode will be out this Friday. So check it out. That's great. I love, I love Vow to View so fun uh so if you guys like any of these shows and want to support them consider donating to our patreon account patreon.com slash daily planet films you can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford special thanks this week to new planeteers nijawi clark and ali at the one dollar level um and yife at the uh, a kryptonian at the twenty dollar level that's that's amazing everybody yeah thank you so much it really really helps us uh we find it very, very encouraging. Um, and as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. Yep. And if you can't afford to donate right now, that's absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by hanging on over to iTunes and leaving us a rating and review. You can be like Elliot from Australia, who gives us five stars and says, and I was thinking, Matt, about reading this in Australian accent, but I know my accent is... <laughs> so bad that i'm not even gonna try it um so here's the review in a american accent we've got worm slash ward is an amazing companion substitute for rereading wild bow's masterpieces worm and ward scott and matt are both incredibly talented and insightful in how they analyze these books i've learned a lot about textual analysis and hope to take that with me into future books i seriously can't recommend this enough thanks elliot it's kangaroos Sh shrimp barbies oh, I apologize for my co-host. <laughs> All right. I no, we really do appreciate that review. Um and and we're happy you're liking the show. Yeah. And I I I love when people say that they're going to take this to other books because I I love the idea of people reading critically and um I 
thank you thank you so much yeah yeah that's awesome i've been to australia you know um, i have not anyway uh that's it for the show this week next week we continue and possibly conclude our discussion of arc five shadow see you then I'll try I'm gonna that do already. this thing where I clap, and then okay. and then on my audio recording there'll be like a big clap, and then I'll know. I'll know. Uh, I'll know that's that's how that works. Okay. Hey Matt. Mm-hmm. That was for you. Hey everybody. <laughs> okay, we got to start over. Let's just <laughs> count down. We can't change it. We can't change it this late in the game. No. Let's go in.